0: What's going on everybody? Welcome to the EPM show. This is all things enterprise performance management, and it's the podcast designed to give you an unfair career advantage. I am so pumped for today's episode because it's the first session of our newest series called Let's Get Technical, where we dive into specific use cases and EPM best practices. Today you're going to hear from Jake Sachs who leads the AnaPlan team at Roseburg Forest Products and our newest co-host Mir Borshkovich. You'll hear how Roseburg used a new cost-to-serve model to drive transparency in their profitability by SKU for over 30,000 SKUs in a fluctuating commodities market so timely for them. You'll also hear how Jake led this build from ideation all the way up to launch and his strategies that helped him do it and then finally some really good nuggets around how to partner with it effectively and manage through change when building new models check it out i'm going to hit each of you with our patented question jake you'll go first and then we'll go into our fun question from there so jake give me your career in 60 seconds
1: So I graduated from the University of Texas with a finance and accounting degree 10 years ago. Started my career off as a financial analyst in the oil space doing oil and gas valuations. I went into the film business and then I went into distribution and along the way I discovered this passion for software and systems and just eliminating manual and Excel based processes. I got an opportunity with an oil company to become an Anaplan model builder in 2019, and I've been working in the Anaplan space ever since. I'm from Minnesota, and I've lived in Texas and Denver, Colorado, and California and Los Angeles, and now I'm in San Diego. I live right next to the famous Torrey Pines golf course where they're playing the American Express Invitational this weekend, and they play the U.S. Open here a lot.
0: All right, man. Give me your career flyover in sixty seconds. Ready? Go.
2: Graduated from University of Washington with a degree in finance and economics, and I started out with a beverage company. And uh, they were rolling out one of their first use cases, which was a TPM model. And I got thrown right into the middle of it and in, in the very beginning. So jumped jumped into the field of AnaPlan. Saw that I really liked the, structure that Anaplan provides, but also how you can create something yourself. Now I'm with a company. Graystar and working as a full-time model builder here. I was raised in Washington around the Seattle area, but moved down to Houston, Texas, wanted to see the sunshine and experience the warmer weather with my wife.
0: All right, guys, one more question before we kind of jump into the content of this episode. So we always do like a fun, get to know you question. Jake, again, you'll go first. Who are you at the wedding party? Are you drinks are on me? Are you the hype guy? Are you the DJ? Are you the quiet one? Give me give me your persona.
1: Well, I think the most accurate persona is I'm actually the guy getting married in a little less than two months. But before my wedding, I'm usually the DJ guy or at least going up to the DJ and giving a lot of good song suggestions. I'm a little bit of a music snob, but I'm also just passionate about music and I've always got some recommendations ready to go. All right, Mir, who are you at the Um, wedding party? You the DJ,
0: hype guy, drinks are on me.
2: Even though I might be a guest at the wedding, I'll be like, okay, does everyone have a seat? Are there enough tables? There was one wedding that we went to and there was not enough tables for everyone. So I was like, all right, I'm just gonna go figure it out. Found a table, found chairs, found got, got food for the table and everything. Talked with the cooks, organized it and, you know, got a whole table set up. So that's, I'm more of the guy that likes to work in the background and kind of like, you know, manage, organize things.
0: Sounds like Anna plans a perfect career for you then.
2: <laughs> hey, that's possibly what drew me towards it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I'll put you in the drinks are on me category then. You're the one making sure everyone's taken care of and having a good time. I'm really excited for for this episode because we posted a poll in the Anaplan community. And the number one thing that people wanted to hear more of and see was some more use case specific episodes. And so that's what this is. Jake, I know you and I have had some good conversations about model that you built over at Roseburg. If you could give us an overview of the company, where you are in your Anaplan journey, the model you created and and why you built it.
1: Yeah. So my company's Roseburg Forest Products and we do everything from grow the trees ourselves and own the forest through selling lumber and manufacturing all different types of wood products, engineered wood products. MDF, composite, plywood, etc. And before I was hired, they had been about a year into their Anaplan journey. It was a little tough during COVID. There was a little pause there, but and they had built out their finance models. And then I was brought in, really my job is to manage our data hub and all of our data integrations. And then I've also stepped up to take the lead on building out our supply chain models since I've joined Roseburg, we've built out a perfect order model. We built out a a sales and inventory optimization model. And then I led the build in the cost to serve model. What was like the biggest reason for you guys to
2: attempt to build this cost to serve model? What was its function?
1: I think looking at profitability is one of the most important aspects of any business. And we're lucky to have some really experienced leadership at our company that's been through the ups and downs of the lumber business. The last couple of years has been actually a really good time in the Mm -hmm. wood products business, but it's a very cyclical market because it's based on commodity prices. And they had the foresight to understand that we needed to take a little bit better, closer look at our costs and get more transparency into what is our end profitability. So the current process is a little more focused on just looking at the product cost. So the cost to manufacture this item, but there's other costs such as transfer freight, rebates and discounts, claims, transportation gain loss, reload fees, that weren't being incorporated into our profitability metrics at an item level. So, on our general ledger, we understand what our transfer freight costs are, what our other costs are, but being able to allocate those costs to the intersection of customer and SKU was not something that previously existed.
0: When you were working on building out the cost to serve model, it sounds like the primary goal there was to take a closer look, be a little bit more judicious in your cost and your profitability by SKU, right? And by customer. Can you maybe share a little bit about just the how you approach that build in terms of strategy, requirements gathering, things like that, who your stakeholders were?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this was a project that was planned out before I came to Roseburg, but what I wanted to make sure we did was really set a solid foundation on our data and on our hierarchy lists that were in the model. So from a data perspective, we needed to have our sales order data coming in automated on a regular basis. And the same thing for basically our item master, our GL record data, our sales inventory costs and also coming in all of our data for an updated customer list. One of the issues that we came across was size. Size is a really major issue. You're dealing with 30 plus thousand SKUs. So what I was able to do to save a lot of size was combine our SKU list with our branch list. And that that really helped out quite a bit. Also, there's quite a bit of subsetting that needed to be done. You might have a list of, you know, 10,000 customers, but how many of those customers have actually bought product in the last 12 to 18 months? So there was a lot of size cutting that needed to be done to make this model possible. And then the usage of CloudWorks is really important, bringing in that data from the data hub into the model on a scheduled basis so that we're always up to speed. Another thing that I think is an issue with all Anaplan implementations in general is people are looking at similar data from multiple sources. And if your data isn't up to date and doesn't match another source that can cause a little bit of a crisis of trust for the data's legitimacy. So, making sure that everything was really connected and automated on a scheduled basis was really important. And to be able to do that, you've got to make sure your lists and your hierarchies are set in stone. Mm -hmm. Did you guys take into consideration Polaris? I don't think we were even aware about Polaris until the model was essentially built out, but I think Anaplan knows that these are common issues that we're all coming across and they're working towards trying to fix them.
2: Do you guys have a cost to serve process that you guys were building off of? What was the foundation for it?
1: Yeah. So there was no pre-existing process. How this started was really from a mock-up on an Excel sheet from our subject matter expert who partnered with me on this model and basically said, this is kind of what I'd like a dashboard to look like go from there. So from that i said okay here's our different data sources that we're going to need here are different hierarchies that we're going to need and then you know revenue is pretty simple and then looking at each of those different cost categories and trying to break down each one of those so some of those were a little more straightforward because the cost might be mapped to a product and a customer but other ones might just be just for a customer, and then coming up with different ways using Anaplan's calculation engine to be able to allocate those costs down to the SKU level. Did you guys have any particular challenges that you ran across? There's a couple new data integrations that we had to do. We had to bring in more fields in our sales order data. We had to get our GL data at a lower level of specificity. We had to bring in new types of data that don't come from our main database. So it took a little bit of learning and a lot of collaboration with it to be able to make that possible. Um, We're creating new processes of even how to allocate these costs and within that There's just a lot of kind of philosophical discussions that need to come with it.
0: Jake, whenever there's new processes that are getting put in place or you're doing something new, obviously change is a piece of that. Can you speak a little bit more on the
1: change management aspect of building out this model and what that process was like? A lot of this just comes down to communication and bridging that gap between the business and IT And helping them understand each other and helping IT understand what the business actually needs versus how the business might communicate what they need and helping the business understand what IT is capable of and what exists in terms of resource constraints and really the process of getting a lot of these things done. There are certain things that happen in the IT space that take five or six steps that to someone on the business end would seem extremely simple. And there's certain things on the IT end that are actually really simple that someone on the business end would think is very complex and not even think to ask for. So being able to bridge that gap and translate those two languages is really huge for setting expectations appropriately bringing everyone along the process using agile and sprint reviews and having a COE where everyone is in the room and we can give these updates. And so everyone's really along the process of it. You know, when it comes to change, it's important to understand who your end users are and getting that buy-in early on and not just placating them and letting them feel like they have an impact on what's going to happen, but actually giving them a lot of say throughout the process of what this end product's going to look like and how it's going to work. Ultimately, this is where I've matured and grown in my time in Anaplan is, is tapering that ego and pride of saying, this model is going to be how I want it to be, or how I think it should be. And realizing this model is for the end user. And the entire goal here is to give them a product that they're going to use. And they're going to love. You described something there.
0: That's just really critical to influence in our career, independent of Anaplan or anything like that. Just being able to collaborate and give a stakeholder ownership, because now they're vested in the outcome, which when they're bought in, you're going to get a better result in anything that you're doing versus when they're not bought in. Right. So For sure. I guess. My question for you, Jake, who, who was the end user of this model and how's that
1: going now? So the end user of this model is going to be our management and sales managers and directors. And then also from an accounting side, there's a lot of validation that's done with it and it's going really well. People appreciate it. I'd say that the biggest issue that we've had with it is kind of an embarrassment of riches in the sense that there's so much data and there's so many ways to splice this data and look at it. And, you know, there's quite a few dashboards and there's so many different ways that you can look at things. And so just opening something up and seeing such a plethora of data, it can be daunting. Some people want something as extreme as a data lake where they just want everything and they'll start cutting and splicing. Some people need things that are a little more tailored for them. So it's really just talking to people. And my perspective on it is I am down to make dashboards for individual people. We're not an organization at the size where there's hundreds and hundreds of end users where doing that much interaction isn't efficient. For me, I wanna make people happy, I want end users happy. And if there's people who are interested enough and passionate that they would like something built out for them in a certain way, and they're a decision maker in the company, then let's do it. And maybe other people use that dashboard and maybe only they will. The beauty of Anaplan is it's so flexible, it's so adjustable. And we can turn this into whatever you want.
2: Honestly, I think that's a really cool thing that you're in constant communication with the end user. And then even after they're built out, you're in constant communication. I can
0: imagine a best practice because when your finger is closer on the pulse to what the business needs, you're able to deliver more effectively, which obviously helps your stakeholders, it builds trust and helps you ultimately drive impact in the business, which can in the long run, help you further your career too. So Mir, Jake, I'm going to get y'all out of here on this one. Jake, you go first. Do you have any big kind of goals that you're working towards right now, whether personal or
1: professional? I'd really just love leading this Anaplan team here. And what I'd like to do is be able to make sure that Our user experience is top notch, increasing usage, increasing our user base. We still have some legacy dashboards that are in the classic UX and getting everything integrated to the new UX, eliminate any kind of integration errors as much as we can. I want things to run smooth and just be simple and easy for people. As a career, my goals would just be to be a director of all IT systems and ultimately a CTO. It's a nice goal to have. Near term. I'm just
2: aiming for a solution architect or master and a planner, whichever way the chips fall. But another goal that I have is to start, I'm gonna start with running a half marathon and then seeing how that goes, possibly a marathon. But I've heard that one's marathon stuff on your knees. Good luck with that one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey, guys, if our audience wants to reach out, where can they find you? Each- find me
2: on LinkedIn, Mere Burst Pitch. Shoot me a message. Sure. Same thing here, LinkedIn.
0: Awesome. Guys, thanks so much for being on the show.
2: Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Wherever you're consuming this, if it's YouTube, if it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we appreciate you. Make sure you're subscribed. We have a lot more amazing guests on the way, a lot more great content. We're doing our best to bring you value and have fun while we do it. Uh, We really want this to be a career advantage, listening to this show, and we want you to enjoy it. So it means a lot. Make sure you're subscribed for what's what's to come. And also, if you're up for it, it would mean a lot if you leave us a like, a comment, a rating, a review, whatever platform you're on. That really helps, and it gets us fired up when we see those. So I appreciate you guys. Find us on LinkedIn. I'm Blake Bozarth. My co-host, Chad Pike with a Y. Would love to connect with you there. Have an awesome day. See you next time. Peace.